0: Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Mayol Larson, and I'm a specialist recruiter for the medical imaging industry at CM Medical. In this episode of CM Conversations, I talk to Peter Chang, who's co-director at the UCI Centre for AI and Diagnostic Medicine, as well as a co-founder and CEO of Avicenna AI. In my discussion with Peter, we talk about AI in medical imaging and how this market has become so saturated over recent years. In this podcast, Peter offers advice on how companies can improve their offering and future-proof their business to really stand out in the medical imaging marketplace. Whether you're from a commercial, technical or medical background, I think there is something valuable here for everyone to take away. I hope you enjoy listening. So, hi Peter. Nice to have you with us today on a, a latest episode of uh, CM Conversations. As per both our specialities, uh, we're gonna be talking about, you know, medical imaging, artificial intelligence, but with a focus on how to actually stand out in a saturated market. Um, so, I mean, first things first, it'd be great if you could give us an intro to yourself so we can learn a little bit more about you and Avicenna AI as well. Well, thank you, Emil. It's an absolute
1: pleasure to be here. Uh, My name is Peter. I am a neuroradiologist here at the University of California. In fact, one of the largest public university systems in the whole world. Um, In addition, I'm a full-stack software developer with about a decade of experience in the machine learning and deep learning space uh, for medical imaging. And in that context, among my various hats that I wear, uh, I'm actually a co-founder of a startup, Avicina, in this space. Uh, we've been around for about uh, uh, three years working in uh, emergency triage primarily uh, for radiologists.
0: Okay, cool. Um, And can you expand at all into your clinical experience? That would be really useful for the listeners, I think. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, I, I am a practicing neuroradiologist, which
1: means my duties here Uh, at the University of California are twofold. Uh, Again, on one one hand, I run the AI Research Center, which means I'm very uh, much in the R&D, sort of basic science uh, aspect of building algorithms. Uh, But in fact, uh, at least one or two days a week, I'll be in the hospital taking care of patients, um, really experiencing firsthand what the problems are in our field and and what ways AI can possibly
0: address some of those issues. So just looking beyond, obviously, your you know, your experience and, and yourself, I suppose, looking out into the market, why do you think uh, the market has become so saturated within medical imaging and artificial intelligence combined? Oh, that's, that's a great question.
1: To me. In fact, when you reached out to me, uh, I, I believe the topic, <laughs> the first thing I read was was actually the observation that this market is, in fact, so saturated. And I think that is a absolutely correct assessment. Um, you know, I think this this comes down to really probably a a key uh, or or several key features about deep learning as a technology itself. Um, So on one hand, compared to the ways we used to develop software and medical imaging probably a decade or so ago, um, deep learning has a relatively fast uh, cycle towards development. In other words, um, you really actually don't need much domain expertise. Uh, A physician or someone else who's thought about this problem for many years Um, to actually come in and build high-performing models. A deep learning system is able to take raw data, examples of things it's supposed to learn, and on its own figure out what the relevant features or patterns are. Again, this this sort of democratizes this process uh, of algorithm development in a way such that uh, really, anyone with access to hardware and data can build algorithms. Um, I, I think it's, it's great on some level, without question, uh, being able to increase the scope and breadth of what we're doing here in the medical AI space is, is a great thing. Uh, but it's a little bit dangerous because by and large, physicians are really no longer part of this process. Um, and, and it's certainly something that I'm sure we'll address throughout th- this
0: podcast as, as one of the issues that we're seeing in the field. And then I suppose even more specifically towards um, stroke. And I know obviously stroke is not the only area that you guys are are focusing, but as one of the areas, it was a highlight for me as a saturated marketplace when it came to AI solutions. Can you add any further insight into that? That's right. Uh, In
1: in fact, if you look at our uh, uh, very young field, about probably three or four years old at this point, you'll notice that at the very beginning, the first applications in our space were in the field of stroke. And in in large ways, this was a practical issue. Uh, Stroke, as opposed to many other disease processes, um, was one of the few that already had software being used actively to triage patients. Um, Certainly software without AI or deep learning, but nonetheless software that was you know, accepted culturally um, as a really key critical part to how patients uh, were were really seen in the hospital. And by piggybacking off of that existing infrastructure, it made it relatively easy to transition some of those older tools into newer deep learning uh, or AI variants. Um, And and I think that was a very key, uh, probably early
0: foundational step uh, in terms of the evolution of our field. And for me, uh, stroke is, you know, fairly close to home. Um, and for that reason, you know, I feel that especially within this area, AI and, and medical imaging, um, any algorithms that are created or developed should be designed to put the patient first. You know, improve patient care is the number one priority. Now, first of all, do you agree? And second of all, is that the case in in this marketplace? Yeah, that, another <laughs> very great Observation. So I should take a step back because for most
1: uh, casual listeners, you might think that really everything we do in our space ultimately leads back to the patient. And to some extent, I would say that's true. Everything we do in the hospital, every piece of software we we build and use, at some point will be, uh, you know, will will ultimately benefit the patient. Um, I think what we're trying to talk about here is the scale of impact. Right. So there's certain diseases, certain applications where the impact on patient care is quite significant and, and actually many, many others where the that amount of impact is, is small. Stroke is one of those um, where uh, it actually does happen to be the case that very fast turnaround time Uh, quick and and rapid identification of patients with with an acute infarct. Um, That actually is uh, is critical from a disease perspective, right? Uh, The amount of time your brain uh, does not have access to oxygen uh, is actually extraordinarily critical to the patient's outcome. Um, In addition, there are certain treatments that are available to you if you identify a patient quickly enough, if if you if you're outside of a certain treatment window, again, the, the number of things you can do dramatically decreases. So it's a very rare, uh, in fact, what I would say, uh, yeah, again, not not a very common um, situation where um, the impact of AI is actually quite palpable. It's it's the reason why the FDA here in the United States and and, and Medicare Medicaid have. Um, essentially decided that a special reimbursement code is is worthwhile because of the impact um, to to patient care. And again, I'll just contrast that with the fact that many of the things we do um, have a marginal impact. You know, by and large, a lot of the tools that are in this space are designed to make me as a radiologist faster or more efficient, um, which again, leads to some very small marginal or incremental benefit to the patient, but by and large, the, the effect is, is on me as a doctor to, to uh, uh, again, make my life a little bit easier. And so I think it's, you want to be careful because when you make my life easier, it turns out even though I'm happy, I can't really quantify that as well. I can't really quantify the value to my hospital. Um, and, and it's very hard to uh,
0: carefully identify what the, what the patient benefits are at the end of the day. And having that deep clinical insight um, as you do, um, what are those challenges in finding, I suppose, and adopting AI that is adding value to the workflow? Uh, no, another another very good question. So uh,
1: I, I think in, in some of our uh, earlier discussion just several minutes ago, I, I had pointed out that the market is in fact so saturated in part because it's so easy to make algorithms. And I would say that that in itself is already the first problem. There's too many options available to you. If you look up um, uh, companies who are maybe working on brain bleed detection, uh, you know, as, as an example, you'll find dozens of solutions out there. Um, and, and as I mentioned, while it's very easy to build a tool, um, to build a very high performance tool um, that captures the nuance um, that, that is possible in, in medical imaging, that is a very, very challenging problem. Uh, one that you know, even our team and, and our uh, company struggles with every day. Um, and that's just not obvious to the end user, right? Um, there's really no good way for a hospital to evaluate the number of, of options out there unless they just purchase the tools and start using them. Um, and, I, and I think the initial feedback we're seeing in the field for, for many of, of the early adopters is in fact, the algorithms do fall short. Uh, of what they what they've expected and what's been published and and what's been submitted to regulatory agencies um so trying to figure out how to bridge that gap and and uh uh, sort of truly execute on high-performing models i think that's one of the areas we as a field need to work on
0: so that's obviously uh, an issue there that they're not producing some of these companies aren't producing a complete final products. so ultimately they aren't standing out because they're not giving the user what they need to be able to like I say improve you know workflows or whatever it may be um so to to one of the the biggest questions that we're gonna obviously look at today is how can companies stand out within an, an AI uh, imaging marketplace you know what key things do you think they can do from the very start to affect that and also relate that to to what you've been doing Absolutely. So I'm going to start with the obvious thing, which
1: is one of the the things we've been talking about thus far, which is the fact that, again, while it's easy to to get started in the space, if you don't have deep domain expertise uh, on your team, if you don't have one or several physicians with a very deep understanding of AI and the problems in the space, I think you're going to, uh, again, fall a little bit short. You're, You're going to build a tool that on the surface seems like it should be useful but when you go into practice, you'll find that again, very small uh, uh, deficiencies cause the entire product to fall apart. Um, I think another key part of this uh, also relates to, um, I think the growing ecosystem that's out there. And that's the fact that uh, 10 or 15 years ago, you could build one piece of software uh, and and sell your one piece of software and sort of have it live in its own um, sort of isolated environment, right? Uh, I think nowadays with, with the large number of tools that are available at your disposal, um, you you really can't get by just selling one or two tools. You should offer a complete package um, addressing multiple components of, of evaluation or interpretation, ideally around a disease process, but sometimes even more. In the case of stroke, um, there's at least three different imaging questions that you're gonna ask yourself, um, uh, whether or not there's a bleed in the brain, um, whether or not the patient has a clot in in sort of one of these large brain vessels that would uh, be amenable to therapy uh, and potentially what amount of brain tissue has died. Three separate questions, three different imaging tasks. And in the early days, that was three different solutions that three companies would provide for you. And, and again, it just I think currently in 2021 that model may not work very well, right? A, a hospital is not going to go out and spend a large amount of money for for three different similar tools. You need a complete uh, package, uh, if you will, and you, and you need it at a reasonably affordable price. Um, and and I would extend that one step further. Um, and, 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 and that is by saying that uh, I think tools that do just one thing, even though that's the way most of our tools are, are made today in 2021, I think at some point that model may also be a little bit outdated. Um, you know, the reality is that as a, as a radiologist, I have to uh, evaluate for um, at least several dozen common, but up to several hundred different disease entities every time I, I load up a scan if I need several hundred AI algorithms to help replicate and, and address each individual disease process, that's really not a scalable solution either. So ha- having uh, models that are flexible enough to address uh, a sort of multiple disease processes or, or findings or some generic um, type of interpretation, I think that'll be another key part of, of the
0: puzzle. And for, for Avicenna then I suppose, from the the very start, you guys will have thought, how can we stand out, you know, in a marketplace where there are companies already looking at at stroke, for example, Uh, what were your main factors on, you know, how we're going to do this? Absolutely. So um,
1: if you follow some of my train of thought here, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to convince (laughs) your listeners is that, um, you, you need to be quite efficient as a company, right? To be able to offer many products and to be able to offer them at a competitive price at a price that would make sense for, for a hospital, quite frankly, um, again, you, you need to be very efficient. And, and that oftentimes means you aren't going to be able to um, address every component of the development cycle through marketing, through sales, um, as one company. There are a few companies out there that do try to do this. And I want—I don't necessarily wanna say that it's impossible, but most companies will not be able to do that. Um, and, and that's what we realized early on. We had several key strengths uh, amongst myself as a developer and a physician and, and my co-founders who have lots of expertise in the, the medical imaging software space. Um, our company focuses on just a very specific sliver of the problem of, of basically uh, deciding which tools are worthwhile to build, then going out and building those tools and obtaining either CMARC or FDA clearance, um, or or the corresponding regulatory of approval in, in the co- in the country of choice, of course. Um, that in itself uh, is is actually a very difficult thing for for most newcomers in this in this space to to execute on, but it's something we again have a lot of experience with. So we'll sort of address and, and fill that. Uh, particular void in, in this development cycle. And then we, we're very willing to work with other companies, um, again, with a large distribution channel, uh, a marketing uh, a footprint, uh, maybe there's, uh, again, a handful of of um, providers out there that that have uh, deployment platforms, app stores, if you will, um, whatever the the method uh, of of getting the tools out to our end users are. There are many choices today, um, and and we don't feel like it's our place necessarily. Uh, we're not adequately
0: resourced, really, to, to tackle that part of the problem. Okay, and I've seen a fair amount of emergence from uh, marketplaces and and companies offering a platform, a wide array of. Uh, algorithms, focusing on different indication areas, which ultimately could solve, I suppose, some of the problems that you've identified where, you know, radiologists or neurologists might not want to go out and find all those different things, but if they can come to them in one singular um, platform, as I've suggested there, that could be a really good uh, a really good option. Um, and there are a couple of companies who are emerging now. Obviously, you guys are partnered with Blackford as an example. Do you see that platform and marketplace as sort of next generation AI adoption?
1: Yes, uh, I think there's uh, definitely a component of the. Uh, how do you say it? the ethos, the the spirit, if you will, of a platform uh, uh, marketplace that I think is is very valuable, um, but the as with most things, the execution is, is fairly key. I think there's two different continuums of um, uh, or two different extremes of of platforms that exist today. There's the platforms that are completely open, um, which allow almost any company to essentially sign up um, with a developer agreement and post their tools. Um, that includes Folks like myself, as a researcher, if I take off my uh, my startup hat and I, I'm just a researcher with a tool, I can I can post it to uh, some of these platforms. Um, so that's again one extreme, completely uncurated. The other extreme is um, the the platform ecosystem, which is very tightly regulated, um, where only a very small number of developers with very specific contracts um, sort of uh, are are aggregated together. And, and there's again there's, there's an internal um, sort of uh, quality assurance check uh, from from these platforms before letting the models in. I I think it's hard to say, right? There's there's definitely advantages and disadvantages to each. Um, but, but I tend to lean towards a slightly more curated, um, slightly more controlled uh, environment, primarily again because most end users are not savvy. Uh, and don't have the resources to test algorithms on their own. It's not like um, an Apple or Android uh, uh, store where where we sort of download apps and play with them uh, in a few seconds. Uh, It's it's very hard to to try a new application. And and I think if you have someone who's able to go through and vet the algorithms for you, or or at least narrow the list to a handful of of top candidates, I, I do think that would
0: be very valuable. Also, one thing that I see is companies offering free free trials. Now, it's something super basic as to offer a trial period. You know, everyone does it. Amazon Prime does it. Netflix does it, etc. cetera. Um, do you think that gives companies a competitive advantage over those who don't to say, you know, here, you radiologist, you can use my solution for... Um, three six months, depending on how valuable we see you in the future, and if you want to carry on using it after you start paying. If not, completely fine. Does that set companies aside from others who don't? I,
1: I think that is definitely one advantage, uh, and and what that essentially means is is your current uh, a company or team lean enough to afford free trials to to be able to get your tool out there, or or is your venture capitalist investor expecting a return, you know, tomorrow. Um, so that does go into the equation without without question. Um, on the flip side, as an end user, I will point out that the vast majority of companies out there do uh, offer free trials. Um, and, and the reason is because the the number of early adopters is still relatively limited. And to entice those early users in right now, um, if you don't offer a free trial, I think it would you would not be competitive at all. Um, and, and I'll go one step further to say that um, if you're a company out there and you're engaging hospitals, you might find a bit of resistance, and even if you offer your software for free, um, and, and I'll say that that's actually fairly common. As a Again, putting on my hospital hat now, uh, our hospital is actually very resistant to free software because it still takes um, a, a degree of effort from our IT system to take your software to install it to route images the right way. Um, there's a, a mental overhead for our physicians to say, here's, an, here's a new widget, or here's a new tool. Please please use it for two weeks. We're not sure what will happen after two weeks, but we want your feedback. Um, you know, so that, that part is also quite tricky. And, and in the early days, I think we were excited to, to be part of this, but now we're, we're finding a degree of fatigue, uh, again, not just
0: ourselves, but a lot of our peers. Um, and it's, it's slightly outside of the, the saturation, I suppose, with the market, but also very, very relevant. I've seen a lot of um, comments and, and posts and conversations recently about, you know, what would you prefer? You know, huge VC funding or loads of customers, you know, waiting to, to adopt, basically. And obviously the, the real answer is 50-50. Um, but I wanted your, your take on it from uh, insights from both sides of the table. Uh, again, great, great questions. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's tricky because
1: there is a demand right now from our customers for products that they have a sense of familiarity with. They can touch, they can see when they go to a trade show, um, they they sort of, uh, uh, they, they have a very uh, sort of uh, real sense uh, of, of what's palpable yeah. and available. And, and that's what they're asking for. I think the problem is, even though those tools are, in fact, exactly what AI of this generation can, can address, there is certainly a, a very rapid evolution of the technology. And, and I think, you know, one or two generations from now, we're going to see tools that are very different, that are much more powerful and address many more uh, useful problems in, in our field. And I think if you're not careful, if you're a company that's 100% <laughs> focused on trying to get your 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 returns today and, and, and just giving your customers what you want without having that eye to the future. Um, it, it could be, you know, could be challenging. And so I think you do want to reserve a little bit of, of, of uh, effort, if you will, for, for work like that.
0: Um, and it leads me uh, nicely in um, we've talked about like existing assets from the very beginning, how I suppose to, to stand out. And you've mentioned, you know, having some highly skilled and knowledgeable physicians, you know, as, as an example, um, is there any insights you can give into what companies will need to do from today or start doing to stay ahead of uh, of their competitors?
1: Yeah, I, I think, again, it's, 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 an, it's an exception of what I was just saying, which is that the technology changes so fast. I, I think people, I, I know your listeners are quite savvy, uh, but but to emphasize some very simple facts, right? Deep learning really has only been around for about a decade. in in fields outside of medicine. And inside of medicine, we're looking at about three to four years uh, of widespread adoption. Um, That the reality is that in five or 10 years from now, the technology is going to be very different. Um, And and if you're not necessarily investing in that, um, that could be, you know, you you, you could find yourself behind. Um, One of the key technologies that I like to talk about is um, uh, deep learning systems that are able to continuously adapt and learn. It's it's actually a, a feature, a quality of AI systems um, that is inherent to the way they're developed. The fact that they learn so easily and quickly in 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 the first stage um, means that it's also quite easy for these models to learn from their mistakes and to update their their representations of data. Um, I, I think that if if you're um, if you, again if you're not necessarily thinking about these type of problems right now uh when this technology becomes a little bit more sh- mainstream in a few years uh again you you, you may find yourself again with with what just one generation old uh, worth of uh, algorithms which which will be uh, vastly inferior to to kind of what the state of the art will be um
0: i think one one final thing for you um i've been active i suppose within ai for the past 12 months and it feels like obviously because I have been in it only really for that time that it's been super, super hot and it's been building and building. Will will the bubble ever ever pop, do you think? Oh, I, I think
1: without question. And I would say in some ways it it has started, uh, again, with those early adopters who see a gap in what was promised and, and what they're working with. Um, I think what needs to be clear is that that gap um, is more of a function of the problems we talked about at the beginning. The fact that it's very easy to get, get something started. There's a lot of VC money full of flowing in this space, which means that um, you, know, you, you, you need to be patient and sort of let the handful of folks um, who have perhaps a little bit more of a long-term strategy, you need to let them declare themselves um, and, and really see what the potential of this technology is. I think as an example, we are seeing very very performant uh, very high quality algorithms in fields outside of medicine which is where most of the talent in this space is right so we know that the technology can deliver on on really really amazing things um, i just think that the maturity here in, in radiology is very limited there's there's very few Folks um, who are who are really even customizing <laughs> their solutions to medicine—they're really just taking them wholesale from Google and Facebook and applying them to uh, you know our problems in in, in radiology imaging. Um, so so it'll t- t- take a little bit of time, and, and I think people are seeing that. Um, but yeah, to, to your question specifically, I think we're already starting to see a little bit of a reality check in in these earlier uh, years, and I, I think that will
0: continue for some time. No, I think that's uh, I think that's completely fair. Um, I feel uh, fantastically overwhelmed in some senses with all of the the um, great insights that you've shared today. Um, it's been. Fantastic talking with you about obviously this standout topic of how to stand out in a in a saturated market within medical imaging and AI. Um, I've definitely learned a lot. I'm pretty sure the listeners will uh, have a lot to take away as well. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's it's um, it's my honor to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much for the invitation. And again, I hope your listeners uh, had as much fun
0: as we did uh, in this in this conversation. I'm sure they will. Spot on. My discussion with Peter Chang, who's co director at the UCI Center for AI and Diagnostic Medicine, as well as the co founder and CEO of Avicenna AI. I was fascinated by what Peter had to say and would like to thank him again for his time and the insight he provided. If you'd like to discuss anything from today's podcast or are interested in being a future guest, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My email is emil.larsen at medical cm.com. And for more content like this about the markets, see a medical serve, please go to searchyourmedical.com. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Emil Larson. Bye for now.